Good morning, SMCC. I am Pastor Scott, so do not adjust your television sets to quote an old television show, The Outer Limits. Uh, Pastor Matt and Pastor Jordan have given me the reins this week to share the message. So welcome to Sunday service. It's a very beautiful spring day here in Germany. Uh, even though we are COVID contained, you can still get out and enjoy the day with your family after service and just praise God for having another day be COVID free. So to start off, I wanted to ask if any of you had been to an event so that had your favorite person that you've always wanted to see. Maybe it's an author or something like David Jeremiah or Francis Chan or Joyce Myers. You, they're coming to town, you have your ticket, you're excited. These are people that could probably stack up an arena, right? Thousands of people are gonna come. You're in it and you're there, music's playing, excitement is being built up till they come to the stage. You know, you get that five minute warning, the announcement comes over, please silence your cell phones, we'll be starting in a few minutes. You know, the countdown clock comes up on the screens. You know, people are just getting more and more excited. You're about a minute out, the music starts to, you know, fade a little bit, the lights out in the arena start to dim, and the, 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 the lights on the stage start to brighten up, and then the person comes out who's gonna announce the speaker. Now this person could be just as well credentialed, just as well known as a speaker, you know, but they're there to introduce that next person, whoever that may be. So they start going through that person's credentials, how many books they've written, sermons they've done, you know, all these, you know, great, great things that they've done in their lives to help people. So now imagine that you're the person doing the announcing. You know, this is your favorite dot, 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 fill in the blank. And you are up there on that stage in front of tens of thousands of people, maybe, maybe more. And now you have to introduce this person. How is that, how are you gonna feel when you do that? You know, you're gonna be nervous, you're gonna be excited, you know, if you, you, you look at what they've done, you know, and you look at what you've done, maybe you're just as well as respected as them too. Can you put your ego aside to give it all to that person coming onto the stage? Now think about it if it was Jesus Christ. You're gonna get up and you're gonna introduce Jesus. What are you going to do? How are you going to feel? You know, today we're going to be talking about preparing the way for Jesus Christ. And we're going to be talking about probably the greatest front man in history, introducing the greatest VIP in human history. So we're going to be going on a little bit more. We've been talking about John the Baptist for a few weeks now and how he has been, he was, ordained, for lack of a better term, selected. He was selected by God to introduce God's Son. So if you're putting yourself in John the Baptist's shoes, would you be prepared? Would you be ready to meet Jesus? 
would you be ready to prepare other people's hearts for Jesus? So how would you do it? You know, how would you get ready people's hearts to be ready for Jesus? When John the Baptist came on the scene, there had been a 400 year break between Isaiah and the Old Testament and the New Testament. Not a word from God. He had been silent. There had been no prophets. There's no pillars of fire. There's no clouds. You know, it's, it's, it's been barren for 400 years. Now, 400 years is a long time. This isn't like the Israelites being in the desert for 40 years. And even when the Israelites were in the desert for 40 years, God was with them. You know, I was thinking about what are things that are 400 years old. And, and the first thing that came to my mind that isn't even 400 years old yet is our United States. We haven't even hit the 300 year mark for when we became an independent country from Great Britain. And we're still 56 years out from that. So we were another 156 years out from hitting 400. So this has been a long time. And during that time, the Jews had broken up kind of into camps. You had the fundamentalists who, you know, everything was about legalism. You know, you had to do what they said to do. You had to, you know, you had to follow the law to the T or you were going to burn. And then you had those who were spiritually hungry who had been, where is God? Why isn't he here? We need him. We all need him. These people didn't get a word from him for 400 years. <clears throat> so, and there's a third group. And that's the group that just really didn't even care. They just wanted to keep doing what they were doing. God, who we don't, you know, we want to just live our lives the way we want to live our lives, right? Kind of, there's kind of like that in society now, right? Now, there's a fourth group that'll come in a little bit later that I'll talk about that's here now that wasn't there then. But in that time now, God sends in John the Baptist to be a bridge between the Old and the New Testament. So before I go any further, I'm gonna go ahead and pray and then we'll, we'll really get into the, to the meat of this. And Heavenly Father, I just ask you to bless this time together. I thank you for this time together. I ask you to take me out of the equation and just let me be your messenger for your word, Lord. Let these words that are yours reach the hearts of those who are watching. And I ask this all in your beautiful son, Jesus' name. Amen. So how did John know that he was the guy, right? It was destined for John to be the messenger, right? To prepare the way for the Lord. And back in those times when a VIP was coming to a city, you know, the roads weren't like they are now, obviously. There were dirt and there was rocks and, and brush and all that. And so they would send in a group of people to clear the road get rid of the rocks, get rid of this, so they could have a smooth ride in. Well, John didn't use physically moving rocks out of the way, obviously. His was about removing sin. His message was all about repentance. So, and he embraced that. He embraced that message. He embraced that mission. But he was destined for that, right? Because in Luke 1, 76, you know, Zachariah's song, his dad is, is, is just so joyed, overjoyed with John being born. And he knew from the angel coming to him that who John was going to be. So in Luke 1, he says, A new child will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare, prepare the way for him, 
77, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. John knew then that the only way to get to Jesus was to repent for your sins. So it, it's, it had been announced in the Old Testament through Isaiah 430, or sorry, 43, 40, verse 3, <laughs> um, that he was coming, right? But John even owned that. Because in, in John 1.23, John the Baptist says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as the prophet Isaiah had said. So John knew who he was, and John accepted that. He knew that every day of his life was going to be devoted to Jesus Christ, to getting people ready to accept Jesus. How awesome is that? that John in his own right, people came from all over to see him. They had heard his message and they wanted more. He could have had an ego, a huge one, right? And just taken all that and said, yeah, I'm, I'm the one, you know, because I'm the one baptizing here, right? I'm the one who's getting everybody ready for Jesus, you know, but no, he, he got himself out of the equation. He was there physically, he was there pushing out the message, but he wasn't, gonna, he wasn't taking any of the credit. He just loved and embraced this mission that God had given him to prepare people's hearts for the Lord. So how, why was John so relatable to the people, right? You know, it's pointed out in the, um, is <laughs> pointed out in the scriptures about the way he dressed, the way he looked, and what he did, you know, how he lived his life. Well, John lived in the desert. He was poorer than poor. You know, he, he ate locusts sweetened with honey. Now, I've never eaten a locust. I have tried, you know, chocolate-covered grasshoppers. Somebody gave them to me as part of a Christmas basket one time, and that was funny, and I tried them because I do like to try new things. They weren't bad, they weren't particularly good. There wasn't much to them. The chocolate, obviously, because chocolate covers a lot of, a lot of sins, let's just say, um, of food. <laughs> but, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't really much to them. And so I was thinking about this the other day is, John would have to eat a lot of locusts to actually not be too hungry. So he's probably hungry quite a bit because I'm thinking locusts aren't filling you up too much. But to him, it was worth it. He, he wanted to know that, people to know that he wasn't on the side of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He was on the side of Jesus and it was all about Jesus for him. So, you know, he didn't have anything to lose. You know, when somebody doesn't have anything to lose, they can, they, are, they can be bold, right? He knew that he could say and do whatever he wanted. The man wasn't gonna keep him down because there was nothing they could take away from him because he didn't invest in the things of this world. He didn't have riches, he didn't have property. He hung out in the desert, right? Not the best place in the world to live, pretty harsh. 
You know, Matt talked about the, the, the temptations of Christ. You know, that was just 40 days in the desert. John lived there full time. And people went to see him. They, they heard the message and they wanted to know this guy. So one of the things I found interesting as I, as I started doing this study and started to research, you know, because there's a lot in the Bible and we, we, we will tend to, or I will, I shouldn't say speak for everybody, but sometimes, you know, I might miss a message here and there because I, I don't know enough. And I was really excited as I started going through and really, really digging into John the Baptist. And so, and relating him back to the Old Testament. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, we had the, the verse from Isaiah, you know, predicting his coming. And, but, and, and in the, the uh, message a few couple weeks ago, we, we knew that uh, when the angel appeared to Zechariah, that he talked about the, the spirit of Elijah being on the prophet that was coming, and that would be John the Baptist. But even more so, and, and you know, the Pharisees and Sadducees always pointed to John the Baptist as probably this wild man. And I wonder if they, they didn't remember that there was somebody that came before that was a lot like John the Baptist. And that was Elijah, because in 2 Kings 1, 7 and 8, the king asked him, what kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? They replied, he had a garment of hair and a leather belt around his waist. The king said, that was Elijah the Tisbite. So he dressed like Elijah. You know, so people could relate to that because they knew who Elijah was. But as the Pharisees and Sadducees were trying to make this guy out to be a wild man, that he was crazy and everything else, I wonder if they were blinded to the fact that he actually was more relatable, related to Elijah or, you know, aligned with Elijah than they even realized. And, and, you know, these were, again, the fundamentalists that everything was about following the law, you know, about the outside of it, doing, you know, looking good, you know, pretending to actually care about people. So I think they were blinded to the fact that John the Baptist actually, you know, he was the one who came and was predicted to come and spread this message and prepare the hearts. So if you'll turn to me with John 1, 29-34, and we're going to start with that scripture to, to really start this, you know, getting into the, uh, the word today. Starting in 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that he, this is the Son of God. 
So John never missed words, did he? He, when Jesus was coming along the lake, the Jordan, to you know, get baptized, he pointed him out, that is the Son of God, that is the Messiah. Never mixed words. But he was very deliberate, too, in, in his language. So if you take that first line, where it, it, the second part of that first line, of, uh, verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's a very deliberate line by John. Because he knew that the Jews could relate to the sacrifice of the Lamb. Because in the Old Testament, they sacrificed lambs and goats to atone for their sins. So he set that up with them to get them to understand that this is a man who is unblemished, who is without sin. Like in Exodus 12, 5, when the, when the, the Israelites were getting ready to, for Passover to, to escape out of Egypt. And the instructions in 12, 5, they said, animals you choose must be your old males without defect, and you may take from the sheep or the goats. The heavy thing there, the, 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 the big part there is without defect. Jesus was about defect. So they could, they could relate to that. They could relate that they knew that they had to have they were, that this, that Jesus was the Lamb of God, right? Just like in, in uh, Leviticus 1, 1 through 3, the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when any among you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal with from either the herd or the flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so it will be acceptable to the Lord. When Jesus was baptized and the skies opened and God said, he is pleasing to me. This again can relate back to these sacrifices who were brought to the tent to be made acceptable, but they had to be without defect. They had to be unblemished. And that's what Jesus was. So, or Jesus is, my apologies. Um, but this is also confusing language for the Jews because they didn't understand how a human being, and at this point Jesus was a human being, could take on their sins. They didn't understand at that point, this point in time, you know, Jesus knew what was going to happen in three years or so from you know, at the end of his ministry on earth. But these people didn't. You know, John even did because John wasn't, you know, he didn't have future knowledge, or maybe he did. Maybe God gave him that message, but he knew that he would be sacrificed at some point. And, but it confused people because they were used to sacrificing animals. And I took a few minutes, I took some time to, to kind of look up. I wanted to see what kind of numbers we're talking about, what they were uh, sacrificing in the Old Testament. And one article I found, they said it, it could have been on any given day, 1.2 million animals. It was, they, they had done some as a life science something. I, I'm my bad because my job is just to source things a lot better, but <laughs> I didn't write this one down, but I wrote down the numbers. And if you're back to uh, 
when David took the census and then ordered everybody to bring those firstborn of Israel to bring those the, the sacrifices to the altar, they by the numbers between the census and the numbers they had to bring of animals, it could have been almost 11 million animals to be sacrificed. And I mean, can you imagine you got all these animals you're sacrificing on this and, and to atone for your sins, but you had to turn to somebody and go, hey, you know what? You might not give me some more animals because I'm probably going to sin again tomorrow. Because the animal didn't take away the, uh, the power of the sin. It was just to apologize for it. Yep, I'm, I'm sorry I did it. I'm going to sacrifice this lamb. I'm good to go. And I'll have a bunch of other lambs and or goats or oxen or what cow or whatever it is ready to go the next day so i can i'm gonna send a whole bunch next day not that they probably planned that way but you kind of had to because they didn't have the the, the the sacrifice didn't take away the penalty it didn't take away the power of sin over them it just atoned for it so you had to have a whole lot of animals to sacrifice just in sheer numbers of people and the sheer number of sins. Now, not say we're, you know, we're all prone to sin still. Jesus has taken away the power over it, but we have free will. We can still go, right, and sin. And do we? Yeah, sometimes. But when we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and he has taken on that sin. Because you gotta remember, Jesus didn't get crucified on the cross just for the sins of the people of that day. Jesus got, was crucified for the sins of all people through all time. And if you just think about the sheer number of people that increase in population since Jesus' time to now, there's approximately about 7 billion people on this earth, maybe a little bit more. And throughout time, all those sins were put upon Jesus Christ. So I have a, a quote that I found while I was uh, researching all this by Martin Luther, and I, I thought it was just a great quote. Um, and there, but one to is I find things as I think as we all do as we read and go through books and then scripture, and we have our we find our favorite verses and, our, and quotes. This one I had come across before, so I just thought it really just fit here really well. And Martin Luther says, "Either sin is with you." lying on your shoulders, or it is lying on Christ, the Lamb of God. Now, if it is lying on your back, you are lost. But if it is lying, but if it is resting on Christ, you are free, and you will be saved. Now choose what you want. So the first part is, about this quote is, you know, it's, it's lying on your back or it's resting on Jesus. Because Jesus can take it. He took it for us already. The other part is, is like, now you choose what you want. God has given us free will. He could make us all turn and love him and accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but he doesn't. He wants us to make that choice. Because you're not gonna love somebody who forces you to love them. Not really. You know, we, we don't wanna be forced into anything. 
But how hard is it to choose Jesus Christ? It can be. You know, it can be. You know, after the fact, it was probably a very easy choice. And you can probably look back and go, why didn't I do that sooner? But we can get caught up in what the world has to offer. And if we don't have someone there to give us the message of the good news, if we're not prepared to give that message to somebody, they could be lost. So we have to make that choice. But God, because God's not going to make it for us. He's laid it all out for us. He's given us the options. You either choose Jesus or you don't. But know that if you don't, and we're going to get to that in a few minutes, there's, there's some consequences, right? And we all know that. So, as we move on to scripture, John 3, 25 through 30. Give you a second to get there. So, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and, I'm sorry, some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said, Rabbi, he who, had, who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. 27. John answered, a person cannot receive one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness, I'm sorry, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. So there's some symbolism here with the, the when we talk about the, the friend of the bridegroom, Kind of took that as like being the best man, right? The best man is there to get the groom, you know, the, to the church, make sure he's calm, <laughs> hopefully. Uh, but he's supposed to make it all, all about the groom, right? It's not about him. He gets, he gets the groom to the tux fitting. He gets, he has the rings at the ceremony. You know, he, he's there to get everything taken care of for the groom, so the groom doesn't have to worry about it. So it's not about, and then, he, and then he gets up and he has a speech during the reception, right? And that's where he talks about the bride and groom. And that brings us to this point, the second point is Jesus is the groom who promotes great rejoicing in his friend, right? And during this speech that the best man is giving, he is talking about all the best things about the groom. He could be a childhood friend who's known him his whole life. He's known the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? There's no bad and ugly with Jesus, but bear with me here a second. But when he gets up there, he's, and he might tell a few funny anecdotes about some things they did growing up and, and things like that, but he's not gonna throw the groom under the bus at the reception, right? He is going to build him up, and then he's gonna talk to him about his bride and how lucky his bride is to be marrying his best friend. And 
and how lucky, you know, if you relate that to us, how lucky, how blessed we are to have Jesus as our bridegroom, right? To be married to him, so to speak, in, in faith. And John, John knows it. He's got to step away. And this goes back to the ego thing earlier. He had no ego in this. He, he didn't say, oh yeah, you know what, you're right. And turn to these guys and say, you know what, yeah, go try to get some of those people to come over here so I can baptize them, so I can get my numbers up, so I can show God that I'm still, still viable, that I, <clears throat> I can baptize just as well as Jesus. John didn't say that. John knew his place. John knew his mission, like I said earlier, and he embraced that wholeheartedly. He didn't, he didn't worry about the numbers because he knew that he had, he had set the stage and that it was time for him to walk away from that, that microphone, so to speak. If we go back to the beginning of the mess, you know, as we started today and go back to when you're doing that introduction for your favorite speaker, your favorite, and, and at that point, you know, you got everybody riled up. And now that person's got to walk out and take all that energy, take all that applause. And John knew that Jesus was it. He, it wasn't about John's numbers. It wasn't about how many people he baptized. And he, and it wasn't about his works, right? You know, you imagine when he finally left this earth. You know, we, we all know it. he gets beheaded later on. And he never changed his message though, right? He never changed his message. And you imagine when he, leaves his earth, when he left this earth and he went up and stood in front of our father. You know he got the, you've done well, my good and faithful servant, right? He had to. He had to. He just, he pushed everything to Jesus like we should. He removed himself out of the equation and he let these guys know, I am here to be the friend of the bridegroom. I'm here to be his best man, right? Because John knew the true worship of Jesus prompts us to promote Jesus, not ourselves. He knew that. You know, and, and, and you think about it, where did that come from? Because there was nobody before John the Baptist for 400 years. 400 years, no prophets, no message from God until the angel appeared to Zechariah, his father, and told him who he was going to be. And John bought into it. There was nobody to train him before that. He didn't hang out with the Pharisees, right? He didn't read the, the, the books. He hung out in the desert and relied on the word of God and relied on God's message for him to just promote, promote, promote Jesus Christ. So as we, you know, we move on to the next one, just remember that when we're worshiping God, to really think about how we can remove ourselves and promote Him. Where can we get that strength? Where we can we get the John the Baptist strength to do that? To totally take ourselves out of the equation and make it all about Jesus, right? So, we get to the last, last big scripture. <laughs> so it's John 3, 
31 through 36. And I'm going to start in 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This just strengthens the fact that there is no way to the Father except through Jesus Christ, except through the acceptance of Jesus Christ. He is that sacrificial lamb who takes on everything for us and goes to the Father to be our intercessor to say, they have accepted me or they haven't. You know, are we good with, if we get there, and we heard it before in the scriptures that I do not know that, I do not know you. That would be devastating, wouldn't it? So we have to accept Jesus Christ to get to the Father, period. There's no other way. We can't do a million good works. We can't sacrifice a million or 10 million or 20 million lambs and goats and cows to get there, like in the Old Testament, because it didn't get them there anyway. Although the law said it would, and maybe a lot of them did, because in the Old Testament, that was the way to atone for your sins. But again, as I said earlier, it did not take the power of sin away over us, away from us, that, has, that it has over us. So, and I thought this, this, the one line that really struck me here was, the wrath of God remains on him, or I guess you'd say her. It doesn't come to us if we don't accept Jesus Christ, it's already on us. The wrath of God is already there. We're already born with a sinful nature, right? We are, prone, we are born prone to sin. And when Jesus Christ comes into our lives and we accept him as our Lord and Savior, then we don't have that anymore. We know it's there. We know sin is there, right? You talk about this, this um, amputee phantom pain, right? That when somebody has a limb taken away, and they still feel it. They, they swear they can still feel it. They, it still feels hurt from whatever happened to it to have it removed, right? So, but it's, it's and they, they refuse to look, you know, maybe you've seen it in movies or a television show and, and a drama, and then they've had their leg cuff and they refuse to look under the, uh, the cover, right? They, they, and even though you could see, you know, the sheets don't match up the leg, one leg is still there, you know, it's like they, they refuse to believe it because they won't look because in their minds, they still feel it. So sin is still there. It's, 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 it can be that whisper every once in a while, right? When we're feeling, feeling lost, we're feeling 
or down. You know, we're not in our word as much as, and we've we've talked about this in the in our growth groups, right? That you know, there are times when you know we start going through a little desert period that we're not in the word enough, and we start to feel it, right? We feel that that little voice coming back in, that little bit of little bit of maybe yeah, maybe sinning will be okay, right? And that's that, that phantom pain, that phantom message, because it's been cut away. Jesus has taken that from us. But sometimes we can't let go. We just, we want to believe that with everything we've done in our lives, that it, it, Jesus didn't do that for us. Of course he did. But sometimes our human minds can't buy that. So that's why it's important that we, we, we stay in the word. We stay, you know, help, you know, the best part is, it's, the best way is to help others. It's to, to, to spread that message, to believe in that message. We have to be in that message, right? So in, in Romans 6.23, we know that it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ our Lord Jesus. You know, this, this, we can just go on and on about all, and many, many scriptures that we know that the only way to the Father is through Jesus. And it's not an easy road, you know? You know, we all think that we accept Jesus Christ and everything's going to be awesome. You know, it, it's not always, because Satan doesn't want us there, right? He wants us on his side. He wants you to come back to that phantom sin. He wants you to know that he's got that little whisper going on, you know, yeah, you're missing it. You can still feel it. You're still a sinner. All right? So when we turn our hearts to Jesus Christ, Satan is going to be angry. Right? He's going to come after you. He can't be everywhere, right? So that's what he does. He focuses on those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He doesn't focus on the millions, possibly maybe billions that haven't, because then they're already there. So he can, he can focus his time on us. But we know that we have Jesus on our side. Is in John 1 and 1 John 5, 12 through 13, is that whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may have eternal life. It's right there for the taking, right? We, we just have to accept his love. But more than that, we have to. It's part of being a Christian is spreading the message is preparing other people's hearts. That is what we're, you know, we, we talk about purpose a lot. You know, what's my purpose? What is God's purpose for me? And every, God's purpose for everybody is to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. We, we talked about this in Growth Group a few weeks ago. And we struggle with purpose. Why am I, you know, like I just said, why am I here? Well, we all have the same purpose as Christians, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And maybe 
instead of looking for the purpose that we think is an earthly purpose, we accept this purpose and then God will put us where we need to be. Right? So you're probably sitting there going, well, Scott, right now I'm contained. Right? I can only go out of my house for so long. I can only go to so many places. So how am I supposed to take it and spread this message right now? Well, maybe we can't physically go out and spread this message right now, but we can, while we're, while we're have this time, are we getting into the word? Are we getting prepared to spread the message? Are we praying to ask God when this is all over, when we can go out and be amongst the population again? Are we asking God where to put us? to be most effective in our purpose of spreading the word. That's what I look at. We can be John the Baptist. Can you imagine? You know, we talked about it many times, that like if every Christian was praying all the time, how the world would change. But what if we were all had that boldness of John the Baptist, right? What if we all Christians went out and spread the message like John the Baptist did without fear of losing anything. Because what do we have? Yeah, we got plenty of stuff. You know, people have been over to mine and Nika's houses. We, we do well, we both work. And, and people are like, wow, oh, you have a lot of stuff. Yeah, maybe, you know, depending on your definition. But it's not, all of it was purchased with purpose. You know, all of it was done with thought, but it's a stuff, right? We could lose it tomorrow. Would it matter? No, it wouldn't. So if every Christian, again, had that boldness of John the Baptist and went out, when this is all over, when restrictions are lifted and we can take off masks and actually talk to each other and actually have some kind of human interaction in person. Are you going to be ready? We have a lot of time right now to prepare. And maybe that's what God's using this for, this time. Maybe God's message is get into the word, get ready. Because I have a plan for when this is over. You know, there's social media, obviously, Facebook, Instagram, everything else. What are we posting right now? I don't go on Facebook that often anymore because I just get tired of some of my friends who have different views and just attack instead of actually wanting discussion. So I just said, I'm done. I check every once in a while to see, catch up with other friends I want to see. But are we using that platform, those platforms right now to spread the message? Because we could, billions of people on Facebook, right? Not that we're, <laughs> I don't have many friends on Facebook, but if we did, are we doing what we should with it? And are we getting ready for when this all lifts? Are we ready, getting ready to go out there like John the Baptist did, put it all on the line to spread the message of Jesus Christ? Because we can. we can. We can be that shining light in dark places. We can be there pointing people 
to Jesus, but more importantly, preparing their hearts for Jesus. We, we can do that. We as Christians can do that. We have God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit on our side. And there is nothing can beat that trio. Nothing on this earth. So while you're taking this time, and you're, you're, we have a lot of, still a lot of distractions at home, right? We're not used to the kids being at home, we're used to them being at school. But are we taking that time to sit down with them at this time and getting into the Word with them and preparing them to spread the message, right? We, we don't have the busy lives that we had before. Uh, we still try and work. Yeah, I'm, I'm working at home a few weeks, a couple weeks a month. Anika's teaching virtually through the school. You know, so we do have responsibilities still, but, you know, I'm not spending half hour to get to work in the morning and a half hour back and then stopping to get this on the way home or stopping to get that. We have time right now. Take that time and get ready to spread the message, just like what John the Baptist did. So I thank you for joining us this morning. I hope you have a wonderful Sunday. Get out and enjoy the weather. It's supposed to be, you know, we're obviously pre-recording this, but it's supposed to be like a beautiful sunny and 67 degrees, according to my wife, because she's my weather person. Um, but, and enjoy some time with your family. Reach out to a friend maybe you haven't talked to in a while on Facebook or Instagram or however you communicate WhatsApp. Just say, hey, I'm thinking about you, praying for you, you know, and just really start to focus on how we can be ready to spread that message of Jesus Christ when we're done. Have a blessed week. I'm going to go ahead and pray this out. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. I just pray that the words that you gave me to press out to everyone touched their hearts. I ask that you just give us the boldness of John the Baptist to be ready to spread your message when all this is over, when this, this can quarantine or containment restrictions are gone, Father. I just ask for that boldness of John the Baptist for each and every one of us to go out and prepare hearts for the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen.